uh, we just wanted to take some time to just share a little bit about what we're going to be doing as a team and to go in a little bit more depth in depth. So I'll let you share first. Hello, all. I am his wife. Wow. It is hot. Yeah, it's, got, it's got a good pop to it. Oh, um, I'm his wife, Rebecca. Um, I actually wanted to start off <laughs> with adding something to what Mama Eliza was talking about. Jordan and I's heart for a long time has been the Matthew, um, it's on our sweatshirt, but I can't remember it now, like no. 9, um, 35 to 38, a, a being go, a, like being sent, going. Um, and like as you set your timers to do this, I just want to encourage you, if you have kids, make sure they're there when those timers go off to pray with you because their prayers have power too. And if you raise them up now to pray this, like they're going to continue to pray this through the rest of their life. They're going to like, I have an alarm set for like 11 um, a.m. to pray. Um, and like, now, it, without even thinking about it, 11 comes, and I just start praying. I don't have to have my alarm. It just happens. And your kids, if you set that up, they're, they'll, they'll keep that routine. But I also want to encourage you, as you pray it, don't pray it without the intention of being sent as well. Like, pray it with the intentionality of, I am one to answer this prayer. This was Jesus' prayer. He wasn't asking. I used to read that and think he was saying that only a couple people are supposed to go. And like, and I would back that up with many are called, but few will answer, thinking like that was what he wanted, just not having the wisdom of what he was saying. But what he was actually saying was his heart was broken because many were called, but few will answer his call. And everybody in this room is called. And I just want to encourage you to all of you be the answer to that call to be sent, whether you're in Asheville or India or they were over there, but they're not now, um, or the Middle East another state, whatever it is, just be the answer to that prayer. But anyways, um, we're sharing our heart on Oman, and Jordan's, what he's speaking on today is like, I found it when I was 12, and it's been the prayer of my heart since I was 12. Just, and it's about Mary and how she poured the oil out on Jesus, how she anointed him. Um, and he's going to go more into depth on that um, more personally, but like, how it relates to us in Oman is our hearts are to go and be poured out for Jesus, but also that we would see a nation that would pour themselves out in return. And we don't have the illusion that we're going and we're saving an entire nation, like not at all. We don't have that illusion. But what we do know is that we will have impact on the one. We will have an impact on our community. Um, and like my heart personally is for the women. That's pretty much all I'll be able to speak to is the women. I will rarely be in the room with other men that are Middle Eastern. Um, it's just not culturally acceptable. Um, so my heart for the women as I've been praying is like, Lord, would you show them how much you valued Mary, how much you valued that she laid her life down in the middle of a room full of people judging her? Because that's what it's like for them over there. To lay their lives down for Jesus is to accept that my family will no longer accept me. That I'm going to be a sacrifice, quite literally. I don't have that. I have the honor of being an American where laying my life down for Jesus looks completely different. It's still valued. It's still beautiful. But it's completely different for the women over there. They literally get kicked out of their homes 
and kicked away from their children. All for the love of Jesus. And I want to come and bring that of like, yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will be a sacrifice. But he's worthy. And he sees you. And at the end of this verse, Jesus actually says, every time my gospel is preached, you will be remembered. You will be honored. So that's my heart. Um, And we don't entirely know what it looks like. Um, There will be Bible studies that we'll try and get up going. We look for what is called people of peace, people that just, like, we're not personally in danger really over there. They want to keep good um, relationships with Western countries because they're an oil country, so they don't want any bad relationship there. But we can get kicked out. So we, we look for people of peace, and we ask them if they would be willing to do a Bible study with us with a couple of their friends that they think would be interested. Jordan will be with the men. I would be with the women. And we just study the Bible, and, at, and the, the like study we use is six months to a year, just depending. And at s- some point, we tell them, like, like, all of this comes to a conclusion, and it's Jesus. Um, and we give them the opportunity. Um, now, if they don't take it, relationship doesn't stop. Because sometimes, like, the, the average amount of time now to see um, a Muslim come to Jesus is two years. It used to be 20, though. So, I mean, 20 to 2, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, so, like, relationship doesn't start there, there, stop there. Like, it's just beginning. We realize a lot of it's going to be us living for Jesus. And that's actually, like, statistically speaking, the people that have come to Jesus in that, when they're asked why, more often than not, there's two answers. And one, it's the Bible. The second, it's watching people that know Jesus. Like, those were the two things they always correlated. It's never, or not never, it's rarely just the dream of the man in white. It's somebody coming behind and saying, like, this is who it is. Let me show you. Can I show you? Um, Yeah, so I'm going to hand it over to my husband. I love you, baby. Have fun. All right. I know, right? She's, like, shared my sermon. All right, let's see you on Super Bowl night. Um, Yeah, so for... For me, it's going to look a little bit different. Um, being a, a male, um, I'm obviously not going to have female friends and like doing a female Bible study, which I wouldn't do that anyway. But anyway, um, but my heart is really for young men to come into the full identity of who God's called them to be and to not be conformed to the way their culture has told them for generations of who they are and what <laughs> what the Quran should say they are. Um, the Quran crazy about the Quran is it actually talks in the Quran to find people of the light, to find believers, and to find Jesus, people who believe in Jesus, and to discuss with them what they believe. So we're using that to our benefit in the fact of, like, you're commanded to do this, so why don't we come have a conversation? <laughs> like, oh, I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, so for us, the, the safety factor is, is really, we, I mean, we are very safe where we're going to be. Um, which will be a good place for our family to, to start the missions process. Um, we're very excited to, to partner with our team and to just start doing just life and Bible studies um, with these people. And just the simplistic Bible study of the fact that we're just going to read a chapter with them and then ask them simple questions of like, what's something you learned about God that you didn't know? 
and let them search it out themselves. Because we've come to find that um, when teams are sent long term that say something happens and they get kicked out of the nation, they may have you know, a following of like people they were sitting with, but when the, the missionary leaves, they actually start to fall away because they, they didn't learn how to search the word out themselves, how to really like um, have a full relationship, not, not every circumstance, but a lot of them have a full relationship with the Lord. And that's our heart is we want that if something were to ever happen to our team and we get you know, picked up and put somewhere else, we transition to another country that, that the community we've made there is going to go on and make disciples. And then those disciples are going to go on and make disciples. Because my heart is to see Omanis jumping over the border to Saudi Arabia and saving Saudis and seeing Saudis go to Yemen and Yemen going to the UAE. Because it's not about just what I can do. It's about starting a fire and saying, you are able to do it, so take it and run. Don't call down Yeah, don't. <laughs> Man, I don't know. My, ser- my sermon's like, okay. I'm like, are we talking about the Great Commission today, Lord? What's going on? Okay, um, I want to add to about the prayer as well. Just like, like guys, it says he's the Lord of the harvest. So if you want to become closer with the Lord, seek him in his harvest. Like if he's there, why would I look over here to try and find him? Like God, like I know you're here. When he's like, I'm here in the harvest. My heart's for people to know me. So as believers, if we want to know Jesus more, why don't we just chase after him in the harvest? It says um, that, that we would pray into Iqbalo laborers to the harvest field. Like, Iqbalo is like a pretty violent word, and, and it's like to thrust forth, like to open the door and to kick people out and be like, go forth and share the good news. Like, it, like it's a big, it's not just like, let's just go over here and talk about Jesus. Like, no, it's like to go forth and like, like a violence of like, we're going to take this ground. Um, yeah, so, and I just agree. If, if you pray that prayer, pray it with the heart of like you or your family member being the one that's being sent. Um, I prayed this prayer a long time ago and I was like, Lord, send them. And here I am. <laughs> um, but it's been the most beautiful exchange, really. Like, looking back, like there's nothing else I'd want to do. Like, it really does bring joy, and I have found the Lord in, like, the uncomfortable, and I'll take being uncomfortable and sitting with the Lord than being comfortable and not hearing his heart any day of the week, any day of the week. All right, so I guess I'll start my sermon now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the past couple of weeks, like, Sam, I think it was two weeks ago, I'd been talking about, like, um, the old man is dead, and that there's this new man rising up, and there's an exchange that happens, and he was talking from Second Corinthians and that, you know, the old is gone and the new has come. And then last week, evangelist Dan was just talking about just the love of God and just like the lavish love of God that he's poured out upon us. And we were just singing about like his worthiness. And um, for the past couple weeks, like Sam and Eliza had asked me to speak. And prior to this, like the Lord will keep me up at like midnight to one in the morning. I just have like sermons in my head. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like I'm trying to go to sleep. Um, and a lot of times they're like, for me, like they get me fired up at like one in the morning. I'm like, yeah, go God. So like when they asked, like I was expecting one of those moments, like, okay, Lord, like you're going to speak and like, I'll write it down. And, um, it, it didn't happen that way. It was like the moment they told me it was like straight radio silence. And I'm like, okay, God, like we're a week out. Like, let's, uh, 
Um, and I kept getting a lot of just like, you know, two line punches. Like, yeah, <clears throat> there's your word. And I'm like, that's not a sermon. Like, like what am I supposed to do with that? And, uh, and the Lord's like, well, these punches, like, where do they come from? And it started this like conversation with the Lord and I. And I'm like, it's from this like desperate place. Like, Lord, you have to help me here. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And it just came from this place. And he's like, well, when you feel this way, what provokes you to like want to go to the nations? What provokes you to share my name and do all these things? Um, and I was like, you know, it's a response to your love. And he said, there you go. And I said, okay. So today I want to talk about what's your response? What's our, our response to God's unconditional love that he's lavished upon you? And what are we going to do with it? Are we going to sit there and hold it? I don't know. We'll keep going and find out. All right, so I'm going to be reading uh, about Mary of Bethany, what Becca was talking about. So if you'll turn, turn to John 12, um, 1 through 7, I think it may be up there. I don't know if I helped Mariah. Okay. She asked for it, and I don't know if I was very helpful for her. Okay, so I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. I have a new Living Translation, but I really like what the Passion says. So I'm going to be on my phone. I'm cheating. Um. So it says, six days before the Passover began, Jesus went back to Bethany to the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead. There had been prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Mary picked up an alabaster jar with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. But Judas, the locksmith, Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, What a waste! We could have sold this perfume and made a fortune and given the money to the poor. And then it continues saying, In fact, Judas um, was a thief and in his heart and had no heart for the poor. He only said this because um, he was in charge of the money case. He would steal the money whenever he wanted, and the funds would be given, uh, and he wanted from the funds given to support Jesus' ministry. Jesus then replies to Judas and says, Leave her alone. She has saved it for the time of my burial. You're all, you'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. So I want to like just paint a picture, and I'm, I'm going to really just be staying in this, because um, guys, there's a beautiful exchange that goes on here that is very important. Um, so Mary, culturally, and at the time, Mary should have been helping Martha. Culturally, culturally as a woman, she should have been helping serve the men in their meeting. Um, yeah, and she should have been with um, Martha. But she saw something. She saw the beauty of who he was and saw his worthiness to the point of pouring out her own livelihood upon, her, or upon his feet and saying, you're worthy. In a room of men being, you know, embarrassed of what she's doing, feeling embarrassed, but also locking eyes with the one who's going to save her soul and saying, no, Jesus, you're worthy. I'll look like a fool on this ground for you. And as she takes this perfume out and she pours it on um, his feet, she then begins to wash his feet with her hair. 
And culturally, a woman's hair at this time was a very like sensual thing, one of many things that was saved for like marriage. Um, so her husband would be the one to like see her hair. Um, and by the law, um, she was supposed to like keep her hair covered, wasn't supposed to just show it to everyone. Now, I don't, don't, don't say hear what I'm not saying. I, I don't think this was a sensual act by any means. I don't believe that was what she was trying to portray. But she was saying, Lord, you're worthy of everything. And I'm going to uncover myself, become vulnerable, expose myself and say, Jesus, I'll lay my life down for you. That it doesn't matter what my culture may think. It doesn't matter what the naysayers may think down the street of your worthiness, but I will sit here and I will wash your feet with my hair. The one thing I'm supposed to save for my marriage, for my husband, I will sit and, and clean your feet with it because you're worthy, Jesus. And even to the extent of she had, but even before the words really, like she had the revelation of being the bride of Christ. Like, if you think about it, like, if she was supposed to save her hair for her husband, she had the revelation of, like, this is my bridegroom, and I'm going to give him everything. And she was everything to him. And that he's still worthy in the midst of accusation. And as she pours this oil out, they say it was equivalent to a year's worth of wages. And that even up until his death, he could still smell that fragrance. So for me, it's like, okay, so she's pouring out her finances and saying, you know, in the midst of the unknowing of what this next year may come, this is my security of what will cover me for a year. Jesus, you're worthy. I pour it out on your feet. And even to the point of having people in the room saying, you're crazy. Don't do that. Don't waste your life on this man. Don't waste this perfume, this fragrance that you've built. Don't waste it. We can use it for something else. And she says, no. No, he's everything. I'm going to pour everything out for him. And this story is one of the most known stories. And in Matthew 26, Becca talked about it a little bit. It actually, um, Jesus says, everywhere my gospel goes, this story will go with it. And sometimes... I feel like, like when I've heard this story, like it's a beautiful story, but I just, like the past few weeks, like it's really just wrecked my heart. Um, and, it, and it's important. I mean, if Jesus said everywhere my gospel goes, this woman's name and her story is going to go with me, like it was a huge deal to him. I mean, she laid down everything she was. She uncovered herself in front of, you know, the public eye. She went against the culture and said, no, Jesus, you're worth it all. I'll give you everything I have. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to read through this passage again. If you've never done this exercise, I really challenge you to do it. It's, it's really cool. But I'm going to read through it one more time. And I want everyone to just kind of like close your eyes and imagine yourself in this situation. But you're not Mary. You're a bystander who doesn't have the revelation that Mary has. And you're seeing this happen. You're seeing this woman pour everything out on this man's feet and to clean his feet and I want you to just search your heart and just, what does this do to your heart? What does it provoke? What emotion comes up? Yeah, so as you're just a bystander looking in, seeing this, this whole thing being portrayed, what, what, what happens? So I'm going to read it one more time. It 
Six days before the Passover began, Jesus went to Bethany, the town where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They had prepared a supper for Jesus, and Martha was serving. Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Mary picked up this alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she pours it out over Jesus' feet. Then she gets down and she wipes her hair to dry his feet with her hair. And the fragrance of the costly perfume and the oil fills the house. But Judas, Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, What a waste! We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given the money to the poor. But then Jesus says to Judas, Leave her alone. She has saved it for the time of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. So for most of you, you felt or heard something that was probably a little bit different than the person next to you, and that's okay. Um, and, and I had someone show me this exercise, and it really brought the Bible to life, like, alive for me, um, to put ourselves in these situations of what would that really look like, you know, not having the full revelation of like what Jesus like had said yet, but being a bystander, not fully understanding what's going on, but seeing this exchange happen, like what does that do in your heart? Um, so a lot of us probably had different emotions than the person sitting next to you, and that's okay. Jesus knows all of us on a per- per- personal level, and what he... Um, Hold that thought. All right, Lord. So I bring you back to, to the title of what I was talking about. What's your response? Sitting in this situation, seeing this woman pour her life out, what does it provoke you to do? We know the unconditional love he has for us. We know now that um, we have been surrendered and made a new creation in Christ. So what does that cause our response to be? He is worthy of pouring out our love onto him. I'm not even going to sit here and say that, you know, once you pour your life out on Jesus, things are going to get easier. Oh, I might even stand here pretty confidently and say it'll probably be the opposite. It's going to get harder. You may look like a fool to your friends, your coworkers, or your family. You may hear, oh, you're wasting your life. You're so smart. You're so talented. Don't pour it out on that. Why would you want to go into ministry? Why, would, why do you keep sharing your faith to every person we go to the grocery store with? <laughs> Don't do that. It's embarrassing. Amidst of all, in midst of all the backlash, you will find the joy of the Lord that is not temporarily worldly happiness. A joy that's not affected by our situational awareness, not not affected by um, what's going on in our lives. Praise God. Guys, our emotions will wreck you. They are dangerous. But they're also created by the Lord, and he can handle your emotions. So I don't know why I just throw that out there. 
Um, you'll also find a peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't know if you guys know, but like COVID was pretty crazy. Um, and uh, the world, <laughs> this just in, breaking news. Um, the world may seem like it was falling apart, right? Now we're on the, this side of it. And, and I believe that there, there's been a, a waking and a shifting and a shaking in the body of Christ of like, even when the world seems crazy, there's this peace that surpasses all understanding. And the Lord's regrounding us back to what do you believe? What do you believe? Where do you put your trust? What is your faith standing on? And it's got to be him. Um, so I'm going to share a little, a little testimony. Because I'm a, I'm a big advocate and a big yeah, my heart is, like, I, I never want to get up here and, like, share something that I've not, like, haven't walked, like, I don't want to share something I haven't walked through or I'm currently walking through. Um, I just think that's kind of, like, just lofty words and whatever. But if someone has personal experience and a testimony going through it, there's weight that can back it with the word of God. And I believe that this is a timely word for our body, but I know for my own family, like, this is a very timely word of, like, surrendering it all. Um, Okay, so a lot of you know that, like, Beck and I, we have a baby, and we had our baby back in December, and her name, yeah, just in, uh, her name's Mila, and she's the greatest ever. We love her to death. Um, so 17, when Becca was 17 weeks pregnant, they had found a mass on our baby's lung. Um, they had called it, it was called CPAM. It has some fancy doctor term that I'm not going to try and say in front of everyone. But basically, it was this mass that was growing inside of her lung that was causing her heart to um, not sit on the correct side of her chest. So it was pushed from the left side to the right side of her chest, causing heart strain. Um, so three to four months, you know, we get this news. It was very, like, out of nowhere. We were getting it when we were getting, like, her anatomy scan. So it was, like, supposed to be a happy time. Like, oh, you're having a girl. You're having a boy. And, and like, everything seemed fine. And then, like, the, the doctor got, like, really quiet. And we're like, what's going on? And so he tells us. Um, so Becca became, like, high risk at that point, And baby became high risk at that point. They rushed. Well, rushed. It was, like, an hour later. But they said, you need to go to the hospital because we need someone else to look at this. That was the longest hour of my life, just driving around. But um, so we knew that we serve a bigger God. And, like, no matter what a doctor has to say about, like, my baby's life, we can take authority over a situation and pray over her life. So we prayed for three to four months, and there was no change. And that was a hard three to four months. And then finally we saw a change. We get, um, so after about the fourth month, we go and we, get uh, an ultrasound because we had to get about like one or two a week to just keep things um just see how things were going um and we saw that the 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 mass had been shrinking or that she was still growing and it had stopped growing so we took that as a victory we're like praise god let's go another quick side note we had gotten um you know the song that's like i've seen cancer disappear i've seen miracles okay so that was when all this happened like our family and, like, parents, like, that was the song we had felt over her life. And then it was really cool when I shared this testimony a while ago that that video was used, um, or that song was used in the video, and you had, like, no idea about that, that that was our song. So I was like, whoa, God, like, what the heck? Like, this is crazy. Like, that's just confirmation. Let's go. Um, and then fast forward, we go to Have Baby, and we had made, like, a birthing playlist. So it's, like, worship music that was playing in the room, like, nonstop. 
And the moment, I still don't know how this happened, it's crazy. It was on shuffle, I'm not messing with the phone, I'm a little preoccupied, Becca's definitely preoccupied. <laughs> so we're not like messing with the phone. And uh, so this moment where, where Mila comes into the world, that song starts playing at the chorus. Like I've seen cancer disappear, I've seen miracles restored. And like, I became a puddle. Like I was like, like you know, be a strong supportive and that came on. No. <laughs> and, uh, and it just wrecked me. I'm like, God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Like, and I told her, like, if she was just laying there, you know, giving birth. <laughs> and I was like, do you hear what's playing? Do you, do you hear the song that's playing? Like, it's, it's her song. Like, the Lord's playing it over her life. That's the first thing she hears when she comes out of the womb. So we had NICU in the room. Um, she was born with no, like, visible problems. Um, doctors were saying sh- uh, surgery probably won't be needed. Like, she seems okay. Um, so fast forward a little bit. She's seven weeks old now. Two weeks ago, we had to go and just get x-rays. They wanted to make sure everything looked okay. Um, so we go to get the x-rays, and the doctor's like, yeah, it looks like there's something there. We're not fully sure, but it could just be like scar tissue or something used to have been. Um, but we're going to schedule you for a CT scan to take her to go get a CT scan so they can get, you know, a more accurate view of it. So earlier this week, right? Yeah, earlier this week, we go to get her CT scan. Um, She had to get IVs and everything. That's really hard to watch your baby get an IV put in her hand. Um, So she goes to get a CT scan. They put her in. A couple hours later, they call us. Uh, They did like a video call, and they said, hey, so we have some news. This is actually still there, and it's more severe than what we thought. Um, that it's actually not a CPAM, what they had thought it was prior, that it's actually a cluster of cells that have formed in her lower left lobe, and the heart has now recognized it as an organ, and so the heart's feeding it. Um, so the reason they said why it could have been missed in the womb is like her body wasn't going into full overload of like working itself. Um, so it didn't have the blood flow going to it. So they couldn't fully see what it was. Now they can. Um, and that it is more serious than they had thought and she will need surgery. So as you can imagine, like Beck and I finding out this info has put us in this like emotional like roller coaster um, this week. And we're just like, and honestly, like, like, I got really mad towards the Lord. Like, I'm going to be real and raw with you guys. Like, I'm like, Lord, like, I know you can heal. I've seen it done. I've seen, like, someone's leg grow. Like, like I know you can heal my baby. And, you know, I'm sharing this testimony. Like, it had stopped, shrink, or it had shrunk. It had stopped growing. Like, like, what is going on? And, guys, I don't know who needs to hear this, but God can handle your emotions. God can handle your anger. Um, you know, he made the universe. So the fact that he can handle me throwing my hissy fit, stomping around in my room and saying, God, who, what are you doing? <laughs> like, he can handle it, guys. So don't think, like, your words are going to offend him. I don't know who needed to hear that. I probably needed to hear it, so I'll just say it. So I'm, I'm having this, like, moment, and I'm like, we're just praying it through, and obviously emotional, and I'm talking to Beck, and I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me why this would go on. Why would... Why would this happen? Like, I know God's good. I know these things, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing really the, the movement that we had seen, you know, prior. And 
uh, Becca looks at me and she says, you know, as much as we love our daughter, the Lord cares about her so much more than we ever could. And this, like, it is true. And this simple truth broke something on me. And I'm being real, like it broke something, it shifted something in my heart. And in the midst of whatever the world's going on, whatever doctors may stay, I still know that God is good, that he's worthy, and he's worthy of my life still being poured out onto his feet. And that whatever the world may throw at us, it can't stop us. As uh, Matt was saying, he's not here, but as Matt was saying, having your helmet of salvation, we can still go down these mountains and see obstacles and not be worried or stopped by these obstacles. Come on. So our life circumstances doesn't change the worthiness of Jesus. He's not more or less worthy. Actually, he's probably more worthy than we give him credit for, to be honest with you. Um, And our emotions definitely don't change his goodness and his kindness. Our finances don't change who he is as a provider. He's never changing. Yeah. And so I, why do I share this? I share this because even when things don't seem like they're going how we planned, he's still worthy of being served. He's still worthy of, of that fragrant oil being poured out upon his feet, being undone by his beauty, exposing ourselves and saying, no, Jesus, you're worthy. Um, and through the storms and through the naysayers saying, you know, why would you waste your life on that? We have to have this revelation that Mary saw. We have to see what she saw in his eyes in this moment to where she could care less what Judas was saying. Or anybody else. She could care less what they had to say, but she saw something in his eyes and said, I I have to serve this man. I have to lay my life down for him. You know, even with all this going on, we still have to be grounded in the fact of just who he is, the simple truths. We can never go past these simple truths. You know, I'm not bouncing from scripture to scripture. I just really felt this one strongly. And Danny, you can come on up if you want, chief. Um, so, um, amen. So I, I believe that there are a generation of Mary of Bethany's rising up and, like, there's not a lot of hills that I'll, like, die on, but this is one of them. A generation that's going to be undone by the beauty of God. And, you know, they can be, this generation can be taught that, but they have to see it. They have to see it. They have to see a body of Christ that is just undone by the beauty of who he is. And no matter what life circumstances go through, our circumstances we go through, we still love this man unconditionally. And just saying, I'll just give it all to him. I'll lay down everything for the man who is worthy of my wholehearted devotion. He is worth giving your life and devotion to. He knows you better than you know you. So let's trust him together with all of our lives. So I'm going to read this passage one more time. And I want to take a moment and, and I just challenge you, I want, I'm going to read it, but I want you to sit in Mary's position. We're going to change it a little bit. I want you to be sitting at Jesus' feet, pouring your life out. Maybe there's something specific the Lord wants you to pour out and trust him with. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's your emotions, who knows. But as you pour it out on his feet, I want you to come undone and vulnerable to the man who's worthy of your devotion.
And what does it look like to pour your life out? It's going to probably be different than the person you're sitting next to. It may not be moving to a dusty village overseas. It may just be given a sing, you know, giving your life in a single area right now, but the Lord wants it. And if you're willing to give it, he's going to use it. So six days before the Passover celebration. Six days before the Passover began, Jesus went to Bethany, the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead. They had prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus and Mary were there among those at the temple or at the table. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped, uh, dry, dry, wiped his feet dry with his, her hair. And the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. But Judas, a locksmith, Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, What a waste. We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given the money to the poor. But Jesus said to Judas, Leave her alone. She has saved it for the time of my burial. You'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you. We lay our hearts down at your feet, Jesus. We say you're worthy, God. You're worthy, God. Lord, you're worthy of the uncomfortable. You're worthy in the midst of where the world may be saying one thing. Why would you waste your life on this man? I would do it because you're worthy, God. Lord, give us the eyes that Mary saw, the beauty, the revelation of being the bride to the bridegroom. Lord, make us a bride that's ready. Guys, we all have to be at this place of just wanting to see his face, to sit at his feet. Because I don't know about you, but we're going to be doing a whole lot of that in heaven. And I don't want to be uncomfortable with it here. I want here to just be a small taste of what it's going to be like and then being fully undone when we're in the throne room. Guys, he's worthy of being trusted. I don't know, I just feel like he's pulling on some people's hearts with certain things. Guys, it's hard, but he's with you in it. And it's so worth it in the end. You will find no greater joy than wasting your life on the man who created you.
as Jordan led us through envisioning that, I had a fresh revelation. Mary wiped his feet with her hair. That spikenard was costly and it was used for burial. It remained on her hair as a picture of dying herself. We were bought with a price. And when we pour ourselves out for him, there is this level of dying and laying down what you think is worth holding on to. And it's not. There is nothing more costly than him. There's nothing more precious than him. And even as we sang last week about surrender and giving him our all, and even as we were exhorted to be okay with looking like a fool, God is reminding us that he's so worth it. So I just wanted to thank you. Yeah, I, I was reminded of one, one other quick thing. Um, and it's just something the Lord's done in my heart recently that someone had said to me a, while, a little while ago that there are a lot of things in our life that are permissible, but there's a lot of those that aren't beneficial. And that is a hard pill to swallow. There's a lot of things that the Lord's like, you know, you can keep this. It's not like sin. But if you give it up, how much more can I get to know you? How much more do you get to know me? So I don't know what that looks like for everyone. It's going to look different. But I just encourage you, just as you walk away, like there are a lot of things that are permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And in a previous story, Mary and Martha, um, Martha gets mad towards Jesus. And he says, no, she's chosen the good thing. And then afterwards, she lays down the, the sacrificial oil, laying her life down. Guys, we've got to choose the good thing. I want the good thing. Because there's nothing greater than who he is. And once we've chosen the good thing, then we can lay our lives down for who? For him. So that's what I have. I understand some people may be in like this tender moment. If you want prayer, I'd love to pray for you. Um, yeah, and if, and if this is all new info, I mean, I never want to not say this. If this is all new info, you've never heard of laying your life down for Jesus. I don't want to just assume that everyone here knows what I'm talking about. Please come talk to me. Let this be the day of salvation. Because he's changed everything in my life. Six years ago, you told me I'd be up here public speaking. I said, you're crazy. It terrifies me. But the Lord's changed my heart. And I know many other lives that have been changed. He's created you for something specific. So let him call that specifics out of you and use it to his glory. 
So Jesus, I do just thank you for today, Lord. I just bless every person that's under my voice right now. Lord, I ask that we would just continue having the revelation um, that Mary had, just sitting at her beloved's feet, her bridegroom's or her bride's groom's feet, and just lavishly loving upon you, Jesus. Yeah, Lord, I just ask that you would just show us areas of our heart where many things may be permissible, but not everything's beneficial. God, Lord, we want the things that are going to draw us closer to you. Lord, help us lay down whatever it is you're, you're pulling on our heartstrings right now, because Jesus, you're worthy of everything. You're worthy of the uncomfortable. Lord, I ask that you would use each and every person in this room as a vessel. Lord, that as we go out into public places, that they would see this oil dripping off of us. That they would see that there's something different about this group of people, Lord. That we are undone by the beauty of Jesus and that we must go to our neighbor. We must go to every tribe, tongue, and people group and share that, Lord, that, that praying for laborers to be ikbalod would come out of this place of like, Lord, you're worthy of your laborers to be sent forth. You're worthy of the reward of your suffering, God. It's not fair that my neighbor doesn't know who you are. It's not fair that this cashier's never had someone pray for her or him. Yeah, Lord, we just ask that you would just rearrange our hearts right now, Lord. Use this for your glory. In Jesus' name.